Hey, this is Luke Bentham from the Dirty Nil, and you're listening to the Miserable Failure Podcast. Failure Podcast. I am your host, Michael X. Krusty. This is episode 36 with Suave from Ill Scarlet and Dare Knots. Off the top, I played a little snippet of the uh, Ill P, Ill Scarlet album from, or EP, I should say, from 2004. And that song was Mary Jane. Oh, that song brings me back. I had a great conversation with Suave. I've known him for, you know, 20 years or so and uh, we just you know caught up and chatted about Ill Scarlet and how they got started and Dare Knots you know how they got started play some tunes it's a fun time sit back relax crank the the volume up to 10 and let's have some fun I want to give a shout out to everyone in Streetsville I want to play a song called 1A and this song is dedicated to all you guys in Streetsville I definitely miss you let's get into it
I am I am just dandy, just uh, enjoying the sunny day. Did a little bit of yard work, and and now I'm uh, talking to my old buddy over here. Yeah, Krusty in the house. Krusty in the house. Got a beer <laughs> in my hand. What's going on, buddy? <laughs> not much, not much. The first time I met you was when we worked at HMV together forever ago, which I don't think lasted very long because you like went on tour pretty quickly. Do you remember that? That was like. 20 years ago. Holy cow. I, yeah, I guess it would be 20 years ago. Yeah, I was hired there very briefly for, uh, it was, uh, what's it called, for Christmas break. And I remember being really bummed that they didn't keep me on. It was a solid mall job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as, far, as, far as, as far as small jobs go. I guess, yeah. Actually, no, we would have met before that. What am I talking about? I guess it was at mm-hmm. the... The, was it the fox? The, uh, what was that bar called? Fox and the Fiddle. Uh, the, fox and the, the Fiddle. Nights, was, yeah, yes, that's it, right. Holy cow. Right. Thursday. Yeah, the Thursday night jam night, the open yeah. jam yeah. night. You'd show up with, I think, Alex and, and maybe Dan, and you guys would always jam Limlifter. Yeah, yeah. It's where we got our live chops because we weren't really a band a band before that. Like Alex and I played in another little, like, kind of an emo pop punk band before that. And, uh, when we started jamming with Dan, we never really had an opportunity to play live anywhere except for these jam nights all over town. There was one on a Tuesday, there was one on a Thursday, and then eventually we graduated to the Devil's Harp in Streetsville. And that's how we got in connected with all the all the Streetsville hooligans. <laughs> Is that how it happened? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's probably what that was our, our circuit. We decided not to go to uh, post-secondary and just do jam nights all over Mississauga instead. That's a good way to, you know, learn how to play live without having any kind of worry. You know, you don't have to like push that you're playing gigs with people. You don't have to worry about how many people come out. You just kind of bring your drumsticks and your guitar and you show up and you play. Yeah, it was, it was a great setup. I kind of missed uh, those kind of nights. I don't even know if they do that kind of stuff. I mean, right now they definitely don't do that kind of stuff, but... If jam nights are a thing pre-COVID COVID era, I guess, in the you know, last, do you know if that still goes on in the streets? I, I, I think, uh, I think Zaddy was still doing some kind of like open jam at one of the bars in Streetsville. 
I don't know if you know this or not, but do you remember Sean Pynchon, the like blues guitar player? Yeah, man. My first girlfriend, he lived on her street, so I actually I go way back with him as well. Oh yeah, okay, because yeah, he, he used to be at the jam night too, back in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He literally lived like across the street from uh, Fox and the Fiddle. Okay, yeah. I remember him coming out and just ripping the blues. He's been nominated for Junos. It's pretty crazy. Come on. Really? Yeah, he, he was nominated for Juno like uh, last year, two years ago. Yeah. yeah, he used to come over. He used to over, come over to my house and we used to jam all the time. And my dad, uh, my dad was always like, I love it when that guy comes over to the house to jam. He's a, the Stevie Ray Vaughan stuff. And he would be freaking out because that guy, like, I mean, yeah, Sean was always into the older blues stuff, which is yeah. something that... My, my dad was super, super into. So yeah, he's trying to go over all the time. Wow. That's, yeah, see, still small world. And then if you remember at HMV, I have a, I, I don't know why, but I have this, this memory that's just, I have a good memory. I don't know why. Andy from the Full Blast, the drummer from the Full Blast, and he played guitar later in Boys It Out, also worked with us at HMV. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Yes. I mean, like I, you're, you're just get everything you're saying is like coming back to me. I totally <laughs> forgot about it, but yeah, yeah. yeah I do remember. Oh, we're yeah, going back Andy 20 was, years here. So I'm surprised you remember all this stuff being a, a musician is living in street. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Still live in no, I moved out two years ago or around this time, two years ago, I moved out of streetsville. I live closer to square one now in Mississauga still. Oh yeah. Okay. Nice. Nice. So that's kind of the roots of ill Scarlet, I guess. Where did you start listening to punk music and ska and all that? How'd you get into that stuff? It's just it's from high school friends, you know. I mean, like it was back, like back in the CD days. So uh, it wasn't really like a, I didn't have like a deep, deep punk background, surprisingly. But uh, it's always into No Effects and Goldfinger and that whole skate punk scene. I never thinking about where it uh, originated from. I don't know, and even the fact that. Alex and I kind of went down that direction. Also, it wasn't like a, kind of a planned thing. Sublime was a big influence, especially when him and I got into smoking weed. It's kind of a weird, almost cliche thing, you know, weed and Sublime or whatever. But that was a big, that was actually a big influence. I just got into it. Didn't really go to post-secondary. We quote unquote took a year off and it turned to two years off. And then, you know, our hobby quickly became our uh, career for for a little bit there. But yeah, I, I honestly don't remember exactly when we started listening to music. I always listened to, to everything. And I don't want to seem cliche as like a butt country, but I, that's the only kind of music I really didn't get into because I got into all kinds of old rock. And then, you know, even liked a little bit of electronic. Just I've, I've been all over the map. So um, I don't know where my punk roots originate. It kind of makes sense that you've been all the, over the map if you listen to the like the music that you've put out. With the two bands, yeah. Il Scarlet and Dare Not. It kind of makes sense, right? Il Scarlet, you kind of had a, a little bit of a following. Streetsville, Clarkson, kind of the Mississauga area. And then you guys released, I think it was uh, the LP, right? Sure. And then, yeah. And then I was in that Streetsville scene, but I wasn't really, I was kind of like a really big metalhead at that time. So I wasn't really paying attention to like all, everything else. I like kind of watched you guys from a distance and obviously we have a lot of mutual friends that know you guys and I know. So I would always hear stories about you guys and, and all this stuff. But I just know that you guys, I've seen video actually. I know that you guys decided you're going to go to Warp Tour and you're going to play outside Warp right. Tour and you're just going to play all day until someone notices you. Like what was the plan? Whose idea was that? How did that even happen? 
the plan was to show up the night before and there was a rumor that there was these uh, tailgate parties and people camped out and sometimes bands would show up and play. So that we kind of heard that through the grapevine. I don't know if it was like some kind of a message board or whatever, but anyways, we heard this somewhere and we decided, okay, we're going to get a generator. We're going to get all our gear and we're going to set up for this tailgate party. And in the morning, try to sneak in through the back gates and try to get on a stage somehow, because that's another thing that we heard that apparently Kevin Lyman uh, would do that with bands, just randomly throw them on a stage, which didn't actually work out that way for us because we got there the night before and there was nobody there. There was no cars. We were literally the only car except security that was in the back. We got to the security. We just said, we're a band that's performed tomorrow. They don't know the difference. And they let us in through the gates. So we thought we were like, oh my God, we just completely broken. This is going to, this is going to work out way better than we thought. We wake up, everything's being set up. It looks like a big circus. We find production, but just like a bunch of green punk kids, we show up and we're like, yeah, so we would like to perform here at Warp Tour. And then the people look at us like we have like a, a third head or something. It's like, um, <laughs> are you, are you scheduled to play? We're like, no, but you know, we heard that if we show up early enough, you, we could get on stage and they just look at us like, uh, okay, well, you'll have to, you'll have to get out of here because how'd you even get in here? So they escorted us out and we were super defeated by this. One of our Streetsville buddies, uh, Miguel, I'm sure you know him through, through yeah. uh, Streetsville legend. He's like, you know what? You guys have everything with you. You have your gear, you have your, your power source, just set up in front of the lineup. There's 30,000 kids coming through. At least, I guess, at least you could play, you know, just, it won't be a total loss. So we're like, yeah, screw it. Why not? Just, we set up, started playing, figured like maybe we'll get one or two, maybe three songs in before security catches up with us and kicks us out. We start playing. There's actually footage uh, that Neil, our buddy Neil, took of this. And as we're playing, a friend of ours got called by security during our set. How did it work out? She was asked to ask us if we want to come in and play for the the barbecue at night because every night uh, Kevin Lyman and, and uh, people in the Warped Tour they have these barbecues which end up actually being super fun and they asked us in the middle of our set if we want to play of course the answer was yes we actually had a gig at the Cock and Pheasant Industries so that night which we had to cancel because you know the fact that we're going to be playing at this barbecue planned out way better than we expected they hooked us up with the backstage bosses and all, all that kind of stuff so the, you know the, just that alone was like such a shock to us because we've never experienced any kind of backstage access or any kind of VIP anything. So yeah, we got invited to play the barbecue by Kevin Lyman. And then that night as we were playing, played every single cover we had, every original. And he was nicely tuned up by that night. He just wanted us to play and play. And we got on the microphone. It's like next year, these guys are going to be on the whole warp tour. We're just like, no way, like just totally freaking out that this is actually happening. It ended up being that we got three dates the next year, but it started a relationship with Kevin and, and the Warped Tour. It ended up lasting you know, through our whole career. We played three dates next year. The following year, we got two weeks. And then I think uh, two or three years after that, we ended up doing the whole thing. So it was uh, a yeah, really cool, really cool way to kick off our career and give us a bit of a buzz. It's ballsy, but you know, sometimes you got to take a risk and it works out. Was that 2004, 2005? 
around there? Yeah, 2004, that was the year that we put out the LP. Sony get involved? So Sony, that's about two years later. Um, oh yeah, we put out yeah we put out the LP, and actually by this point we were kind of getting popular in the local scene, uh, Southern Ontario a little bit, and um, we actually got signed to a label before that, Sanctuary Records. We were supposed to put out our our first, I guess our first official full length. Uh, through that, but you know, so just a couple of things happened. 
that it ended up falling through, but this process took about two years. And if, you know, at the beginning of a career, two years is such a long time that by 2006, we had all this material that we wanted to put out and we just decided to put it ourselves, printed out, I think like 3000 copies of this EP that was called Clearly in Another Fine Mess. We had a release party at the Opera House in Toronto. By this point, we had an agent and like scored some management. And I remember that place was oversold, like a 50-50 man, about 850 people. And we had over a thousand in there. That's not even exaggerating because I remember like we had all the tickets sold out and the guest list plus pretty much every single major label and a whole bunch of the indies that were invited to come out. And it it turned into a bit of a, a bidding war. Sony being the ones that ended up winning just because the deal that they offered was, yeah, like it just showed their intense interest and uh, yeah, the whole interest into the band and like the commitment with everything else in the contracts. So yeah, we went with Sony. Clearly uh, in another fine mess is basically all day with it. Is it like a re-release on Sony? No. So uh, that was uh, Epidemic. Epidemic, I'm sorry, yeah, Epidemic. And we, the only thing we took off, we took off nothing special off it that we saved for uh, like a, a new version we put on all day with it. And I think one or two other tracks, I don't know. Like we've, we've re-recorded so many, a bunch of our songs, like some of them like three or four times with all the lo- like random local releases and, and whatnot. So it kind of is one of those things where you, your first record, you have many years to write that. And then it's your second record that usually is the one that seems to get rushed for a lot of bands. And it's the one that tends to sink a lot of bands. It's the one that matters the most. Yeah, the second one, yeah, for sure. We don't need to know the details of the Sony contract, but do you think a band would get the same kind of contract today that you guys got back in 2006? Do you think that a contract exists now? I don't think it does. I mean, I'm like so not up on how any of that stuff like works now with because it's all digital downloads where back then it was the CD still mattered. It was like that weird transition where, you know, downloads were a thing and, and there, there's definitely illegal downloads with, with Napster because like, Napster was like the main uh, way to pirate music. So we were in this weird like kind of transition place. So that contract they offered us was... Like, you know, for a soft punk band from uh, Mississauga, it was pretty yeah, impressive. We had, we had American management, so they kind of, the way they, they worked it was like, because what we thought was going to be a good contract and a good deal compared to what we got was like night and day. We just didn't know. And now, as far as like what, what they give out these days, it's like, you know, if you, have a, if you have a hit on TikTok, which is like a 15-second clip, that could mean, um, you know, a multi-million dollar contract if something catches on so it's like can't be really compared to what it was to what it is it's crazy that you can get signed onto a label for a tiktok song or a youtube song i mean it happens all the time longevity doesn't matter it's it's like now whatever you could make happen in the shortest period of time as long as it blows up it goes viral whatever that's what matters these days whereas before you know yeah it was a whole different thing it was actually mattered people coming to your shows and building that organic following. Now it's a weird time, but there's no like real scenes where, you know, you have this underground little punk shows that are happening and you kind of build and build and build. There's it just things that seem to happen a lot faster and through weird avenues, like the TikTok thing, which is like, doesn't seem to be a full song. It's literally a 50 second clip of some kids doing some weird dance. And because your song is the one that's in the background, that could literally could change your life. Yeah, change your life. Yeah. 
And I guess that's what kind of happened to uh, Walk Off the Earth with somebody that I used to love, right? That that song kind of just hit and blew up. I remember watching the numbers. It was like, you know, 10K, 20K, 50K. And then it was like half a million, then like a couple million. You're like, holy shit. Oh, and next thing yeah, you know, yeah. they're on Ellen, right? Oh, yeah. I've known Johnny also for, uh, she, was, she was like the local kind of scene. And it was just, it's the craziest thing how that turned into what it was. And, and it's still, that's still different than the TikTok thing because it's just at least a full song and but it was a cover you know what I mean and not, not to say that's a new thing because like you know back in the 60s covers would be a way to also make people's careers I've been fortunate to tour with them around the world after with Dan Ossick they taking us out and just to see what one cover plus a incredible work ethic what it translates to like to be in every single country in Europe and playing 4,000 to 8,000 capacity venues sold out uh, because, well, it wasn't just because of one, but like, I mean, the, the one song is what kicked it all off. But like, I mean, it's completely incredible what you can do through the internet. We have to mention that like Walk Off the Earth, they have a lot of music now and they've done a lot of things and they've definitely worked hard. We're just saying that it all started because of that one song, which is just unbelievable. And I do want to talk about the Dare Nots, but I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about Ill Scarlet. Heaters was the first single that Sony did that kind of got you guys going, which we just kind of celebrated the other day. That's right, but Sony actually had nothing to do with it. That song, we got on the radio ourselves because of the, the Edge. Edge wanted to used to have uh, the punk show and Indie Nights. So the one that we got hooked into was uh, Steam Whistle Indie Nights. So Friday and Saturday night, they would have live bands play from 9 to 10 p.m. And Barry Taylor was a DJ at the time. We built a relationship with him. We played like two or three of these things. And uh, around that time, we decided to release our own. Uh, but once again, clearly another fine mess. We had nothing special and heaters finished. We handed in the songs. And that's what got us on this uh, indie nights. Um, and then I remember him being in a the music meetings where, where they actually choose songs to go into uh, into rotation. We were playing the Pot March that used to happen in Toronto. That was the, actually the date that when you uh, filmed us, when we celebrated it was, he called, he literally texted him, he was like, hey, dude, is there any way you could send me one of those two songs, uh, the, the, the reggae one, the heaters, to my, to my email? Because if uh, I'm going into a meeting and I think it, it could be a cool potential to, to getting into rotation. Obviously, I was like, yeah, of course, that'd be amazing. I didn't even have, I didn't even have email on my phone because uh, this is like pre-smartphone days. So I like, so called my girlfriend at the time. I'm like, okay, go onto my, go onto my computer, go on my email and email this song to, to this email address, which was Barry's. She sent it. We performed mid-afternoon at this pop march. And then all of a sudden I get a text like, dude, I just got the song added to rotation. It's going to start next Monday in medium rotation. We'll see how it does. The response was really positive. And so they went from medium rotation to heavy rotation all summer long. I think I was telling you when we were filming, that was around the time period when I would also go to clubs at like, you know, Friday, Saturday, you know, in your 20s, you want to go and party with the, you know, party with your friends. And I would go to like 107 or like, you know, the Phoenix, whatever. And they would be playing your songs there at the club too. And people would be dancing and have a good time singing along. Yeah, no, it was great. I was actually, I remember I was working some like, some random warehouse job. And I remember the song was like in heavy rotation by, by this point, but our, our, our band was, you know, locally known with the kids, but none, you know, nobody really, really knew of us on a bigger scale. And I remember 
literally pushing a broom around this warehouse and people, you know, the, the guys there would have like pump uh, edge one of two. And then I, I hear on the radio, it's like, and uh, next up uh, is, you know, a song, blah, 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 it was Scarlet. And, and I'm like, I go up to these, like these lifers there. I'm like, dude, that's my band. And like, that's not what, what the hell are you talking about? It's your band. It's not your band. I'm like, no, seriously. And I like had by this point, I like I had a tattoo of my band. I was so committed. And, you know, I was just like on my arms at Little Scarlet. I'm like, I'm serious. Listen to this song. Listen to what they say after. And it, it, listen for the name, Ill Scarlet. So they play the song. It's kind of the song. I know the song. I'm like, yeah, Ill Scarlet. And then, you know, the song finishes and they're like, and that's Ill Scarlet. Here's by Ill Scarlet. They like just, I remember that look. From, the, from this one guy specifically on, and he's like what the hell are you doing here like like you're on the radio man what are you doing and honestly I, like I think three days later I, I quit the job I was like I, I need to like focus on on this this is you know obviously some things it's kind of funny what people people's perceptions are when you're on the radio or like you can go to song and watch music but like what people think it means you know fame and money and stuff but it was like literally pushing a broom around a warehouse and my song is on on you know one of the biggest stations in Canada but it was motivation to definitely quit the job and focus on music full-time <laughs> That man, 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 that
guys recorded one up in california you guys spent like a month there is that right yeah one up so you know we, we were out there for i think uh two and a half months same with uh, all day with it kind of that was a, which was a cool experience was on the on the sony sony bill uh, it put us up and you know it was definitely like a checklist on for any kind of musician dreaming of making it to get to you know, california and recording these big studios for us that was uh definitely like a, a dream and a bucket list thing to do. So it was cool to make all that stuff happen. How hard is it to focus on the music when you have so many distractions? How do you focus on recording an album? I mean, it was our first major album. It was a different situation with our second because our first one was like literally everything was just so new. And we were, our headspace was just a way better work ethic for us compared to by the time the second one rolled around because the second one was two years later and we were, I guess, a little more, more connected and exposed to, to more of the party, party life versus the, the first time where it was just like, we were kind of in the outskirts of LA and just like a little awkward apartments and stuff. And just our, our, our headspace was, so our first album, blah, blah, blah. And we have to, we have to like, I know. Well, both of them were taken seriously, but the first one was more focused as, and the second one, I think, was actually could have used a lot more focus because that's where the partying got us in a, <laughs> yeah. a, a little bit in a little bit of trouble. Yeah, it happens. It happens. It, it, yeah, happens. it happens. Yeah, you know, it was <laughs> the, definitely would have done it a little bit different if I, you know, had a little bit of uh, a little foresight. But you know, it is what it is. It was still. It's still an amazing experience that that uh, I'm glad to have had. And One Up is a great album, so yeah, know, yeah. people um, love that it's, album. It's, it's it's got its moments for sure.
Now, fast forward to uh, you know a couple years later, I am in a band called Tomahawk Love with some buddies of mine, and I walk into a studio in Streetsville where James Robertson is recording a band, and I have to pay him some stuff because he recorded us as well. And I walk <laughs> in, and I just see you and someone else fucking going crazy headbanging to a song that's being mixed. And I'm like, okay, they're yeah. digging. Whatever they're recording, they're digging. And I didn't want to bother you guys. So I kind of, you know, uh, I paid James and I took off. And it turns out that was Dare Knots. So how did that happen? How did Dare Knots happen? Um, it was uh, it was just a kind of a, a little laptop project that wasn't really meant to, to be anything besides just, uh, just having a little bit of fun on uh, I've always been to making beats on my laptop and I was just, that's how it started. As we started recording with James, um, the, the songs, you know, the songs sounded pretty good. Uh, so I'd send them to a couple of buddies. My buddy, the band called Pepper, he's got a label called Law Records. I just sent it to him for fun. Just kind of, these are my music buddies that I trust for their opinion. I wasn't even trying to do anything with it besides get an opinion. What do you think? So I sent them the one song and he automatically, this is, you know, he like loved it. And He's like, do you mind if I put it out? And it kind of like snowballed into all these like random opportunities that I wasn't planning on. But because of all the years spent in Il Scarlet and just through, through touring and just, you know, the people you meet, you kind of, you end up having connections that sometimes will take you on a, a bit of a journey. And I uh, sent him a couple of songs that do you mind putting it out? Sure, why not? And that led to a couple of shows and a couple of tours. And it was just like, all of a sudden I'm in another touring band that I really wasn't planning on uh, taking too, too seriously, but you know, just went with the, went with the flow. I think that goes to show how talented you are. I know you're saying like you're at the right time in the right place and you have the right friends, but you're just going past the talented part. Cause you're a drummer and you're a guitar player, which you play guitar on the, in the dare not stuff, like the early stuff too. Like you did all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah no, I'm, I uh, like uh, all the dare not stuff. Like I, 
I pre-produce and I, I make all the beats. So, I mean, it's, uh, playing all the synths and writing all the bass lines and guitar, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and I take it to proper engineers that like really know their stuff. So like a James Robertson or a couple of my other friends, Matt, Matt Drake's a really good guy. And, um, and just take my ideas and take it to my friends that, you know, are sonically are very experienced. And then, yeah, we turn them into these, fun tunes that end up end up on the internet. What's cool is James Robertson, he's the one who produced Billy S with Sky Sweetenham song Billy S. And then you mentioned Matt Drake, who is the guitar player in Sumo Psycho. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I mean, all these connections. Uh, all, all, what's connections and just how small the Canadian music scene is. Yeah, James, that was actually his first, I think his first major major thing that kicked off his career. And yeah. right now I'm working, working on a bunch of our new Deadots uh, EP. At this point, it's kind of looking like an, almost like an album, but uh, Matt's the one that's uh, producing it uh, with me. So we're, I think, about six songs deep right now. Kind of excited to put some of this stuff out. So when should we expect a, expect a new Deadots album? I think we're going to just go, ahead and go song by song. And then I think once we get to like about five, maybe five songs, release then we'll drop the whole thing at least try to get a little bit of momentum it'd be fun to do a couple of videos with you in the same style that we did actually um the heaters thing yeah let's do it you guys heard it here first everyone listening you heard it here first (laughs) yeah that's right cool and what's going on with ill scarlet do you see anything uh, in the future i know it's like it's not like a closed book but is there anything planned um we have a couple of ideas that we we never completely finished off. I'd like to put out a couple couple new tracks and finish those those songs off. It's hard for us to to write uh, to, to to write a whole album, but I could definitely see in the future a couple songs. Um, 15 year anniversary of All Day with It is next year, so in a perfect world, we would do some kind of celebration with that. We put it out on. I'd like to put it out on uh, vinyl. And and then yes, yeah, pepper in a couple maybe new tracks. If we're you know if, if we're there, it's just all of us have Alex and I have kids now and uh, full time jobs, and it's not like we're not trying to jump back in a van and uh, do anything super serious. But I'd like to put out a couple tracks for sure. Fans are definitely asking for it. So yeah, I think everyone will dig it. I totally understand. Like who wants to jump into a stinky van when it's not the same when you're our age compared to when you're, you know, 20 or 25. So yeah, I have responsibilities to a 20 in a stinky van. It sounds like an amazing time, but when I'm in my mid thirties with kids at home, it's just uh, not too stoked on, on yeah, jumping in a van for, for a month at a time. Definitely not. I really appreciate yeah. you giving your time. Thank you so much, Suave. Thanks a lot for reaching out, Krusty. This is a uh, uh, fun to, to reminisce. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah.
sing see i keep thinking i can't sing but i can sing so maybe the dare nots should have a song featuring michael x crusty where i just go because ah! i can do that no problem anything else can't do it you want me to sing other notes no can't do that ah! that's it i even think that one was off but whatever it is what it is thank you to suave for hanging out and chatting with me i had a great time uh everybody i what i need you to do right now is go to www w three w's dot crusty media dot ca click on that shop button and you know buy some merch make it rain baby make it rain we got hoodies we got t-shirts we got stickers we got coffee mugs you know steve risen is the technical producer on this episode and all previous episodes he works out of toronto canada at drive studios definitely hit him up if you're looking to record a song an album or you know anything to do with music he will definitely hook you up to everyone else say it with me see you next time <laughs>